Support for The Bittersweet Life comes from our listeners. This week, I want to thank Liz and Alan for supporting the show through PayPal. You can make a one-time or recurring donation by visiting our website, thebittersweetlife.net, and clicking on the Donate button, just like Liz and Alan did. This show exists because of listener support. There are so many monthly bills associated with making this show that we couldn't keep it going without you. Thank you so much. On with the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today... We're going on to the sea. <laughs> no, I don't know how to intru- introduce this. We're going on a journey, on an adventure. Right. We're going to talk a little bit about the trip I went on, taking the Sea Star, which is a 1965 touring yacht, up the Inland Passage from Seattle to Sitka, Alaska, a trip that I recently returned from. Now, I'm curious... What is the Inland Passage exactly? What does that mean? The Inland Passage, how would they define it exactly? It's basically a route runs along British Columbia from Seattle. Is it a river? It's water, but it's a little bit more... Well, I assumed it was water. (laughs) What did you ask? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's made of water. I said, is it a river? (laughs) I mean, a a boat would have a hard time if if it wasn't water. (laughs) No, it's not a river. It's... um, it's basically like slightly more protected open ocean. I see. So like there's the open ocean and then there's the inland passage, which is often most of the time tucked between two land masses. I see. So the water is not quite as crazy in there. And so it's a kind of a okay. well-used shipping route. I see. And you'd also have like the British Columbia ferry would run up and down there. You know, it's just if you're in open waters in a boat, it's much rougher than it is in the Inland Passage because it's protected by land. You're still in the sea. You're just, you know, cutting in this kind What they of... would call the backwaters in India. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I went on a backwaters trip in, in uh, Kerala in India, and it's like the same sort of thing. Just inland, so I can kind of picture it. Yeah, and then every now and then the land mass that's protecting you drops away and you're a little bit more exposed, you know, and then you get into another inlet, so... So yeah, that was a pretty poor description, and I bet people, other people listening would be like, you could have just described it this way, <laughs> and that would have been better. No, it makes perfect sense to me. Okay. Uh, how many days did it take leaving the dock in Seattle to actually crossing the Canadian border into Alaska, so back into the U.S.? Well, it basically took 72 hours, possibly more, of constant travel, constant movement, like the boat never stopping. The first place we stopped was in Ketchikan, Alaska. And part of that is just efficiency. But the other part of that is that Canada really isn't open to American travelers. Oh, that's true. Their borders are still closed. So even if they had wanted to stop in Canada, they would have had to continue on. It's just uh, unless they wanted to go through a big rigmarole of permissions, etc. Right. But they let the boat in at the border with no problems. Well, the boat never docks. So it's essentially just passing by. It's not really you know entering you're not trying to land in canada you're just moving through but how do they know you're not going to i can't answer these questions i don't know why (laughs) i don't know how they know i didn't study canadian politics and uh, policy (laughs) while i was on the boat all right okay (laughs) fine 
I'm just <laughs> a very curious person, and I know our listeners are too. Yes, I know. I wish I had answers, but I don't. So they, so we just got on the boat. The boat departed, and for 72 hours, or possibly a little bit more, we were just at full steam ahead. And so the captain and the first mate were basically in rotation. One would drive the boat, you know, to a certain hour in the night. The captain would wake up. He'd come up. He'd drive for a while. Then he'd go back to bed. She'd take over, you know, and they were just doing that for hours and hours and hours. So it was kind of an interesting rhythm in those first three days, especially for me, who had never spent the night on a boat before. One, to get used to the rhythm of it, which is like a train, but different because of all the different swells of the water. And sometimes the boat's really being tossed around and sometimes it's very smooth and it just has this shaking, rattling hum of all the motors working. And then also just had a different rhythm because the boat didn't really ever go to sleep. There was always someone awake. So if you were a passenger who was awake in the middle of the night, you know, they were like, come on up to the wheelhouse and hang out. You know, like we're just up there anyway. So that's nice. Come be with us. That's nice. Yeah. I actually didn't really ever get up in the middle of the night. Although (laughs) at one night, Around three in the morning, there was this huge slamming noise. And I sent Derek up to find out what it was. Iceberg. Yeah. (laughs) Luckily not. Uh, But it was, you know, there's all these logs floating in the water. So many more than you would think. And it was just like this minefield of logs all the way across the water. And they had hit one of them in the dark. And then they put the spotlights on. And they were driving really slow, just trying to figure out where can we cut through this group of logs to not damage the boat on our way through. So that's what it was once we hit a log. They were pretty good at having that not happen, but it happened occasionally. Did you suffer any seasickness? There were a few times I took some Dramamine, Mm. but I never got seasick at all. That's nice. One of the things that they said I thought was interesting and before we even got underway was when it comes to seasickness, you've got to get ahead of it. Once it's fully come on, there's nothing that can be done. You're going to go through the whole cycle of it. And it's going to be really hard to stop if we're still in rough waters. They just advised at the smallest inkling, if you have something, take it. Mm -hmm. Even if you think, you know, I'll probably be fine. Just take it. (laughs) Just take it. Because you don't want to end up, you know, puking over the side of the boat for an hour. Oh, no. It's awful. Seasickness is awful. So, But no, I never had any any trouble overall. That's good. And you got your sea legs right away or did it take you? Yeah. Okay. Here's a question. I remember it's been a long time since I've spent a prolonged amount of time on a boat, but I do remember that when you get off the boat after it's been in like a good long time, like a couple days at least, walking on the solid ground feels so weird, right? You know, it's funny because people said it would be like that and I did not experience that as much. Yeah, and I don't know why. I don't know why. Maybe it's because you're so light. You practically float. (laughs) You're just as light as I am. Yeah, not quite. (laughs) Yeah, you are. So I don't know. I don't remember that. I do remember that it felt kind of fun and interesting to be back on land again after all that time. And Ketchikan is a, a strange and interesting place. But of course, everywhere we stopped, it was more interesting on the boat than it was where we stopped. Not to say that Ketchikan is not an interesting place. It is an interesting place. And I had some great conversations with a few locals. What is interesting about Ketchikan? Because I, I have no reference for it. I have no idea. Well, in one way, it's where 
it is. So in these, this three-day voyage, we basically haven't seen very much civilization at all. It's mostly just trees and rocks, lots of eagles, and an occasional a cabin or two or some outpost that's some sort of Canadian something with a Canadian flag that looks something something governmental. But most of the time, it's just nature. And so then when you get to Ketchikan, you pull in, it's it's this town that's perched right over the sea. And behind it is this, it basically rises straight up to mountains right behind the town. So they have no option to like expand any more than they are. <laughs> they basically hit this cliff that goes straight up. So it feels like this long, thin town that's like perched on the edge of a mountain. Ah. It's obviously been remade to service the tourist industry. It was a lumber town, from my understanding, back in the day. But of course, the tourist industry isn't really there right now. Mm -hmm. It did have this kind of remade carnival feeling with no one there. No cruise ships, no nothing. There was one National Geographic boat there. And then it has this kind of old historic district. It's called Creek Street because the little district is hanging over an actual creek. And it's all these just like little shanty shacks that apparently used to be like a series of brothels. And during the Prohibition era, the creek they would use to smuggle booze in underneath those houses, like when the water was rising, and then they would bring the booze up through the bottom of the houses mm. to try to smuggle it in. And there was a trail behind all those cabins called the Married Man's Trail, which was supposedly where if your wives showed up all of a sudden at these houses, you could take off <laughs> out the back door and run up the Married <laughs> Man's Trail and end up in one of two places that were nowhere near Creek Street. Be like, oh, no, I was just out taking a stroll. <laughs> of course, like all of this has been sort of remade into like a kitschy attraction okay. to a certain degree. Like most of those houses now are little shops, you know, they're like little marketplaces. Oh. Almost everything when we were there was closed, too. It was a Sunday. It was Memorial Day weekend. The tourists really weren't back yet. It was just kind of a ghost town. One really interesting thing we did get to see was that it happened to be the day of the high school graduation. And they were going to be promenading their seniors along the waterfront pier mm -hmm. as a way of celebrating them since you can't do indoor things. And so we decided to go watch that parade. <laughs> and then we decided not to actually watch the whole thing because who are these kids? <laughs> we don't know. But we did get to walk through the whole parade route. And that was really interesting because it was almost like getting to see what the entire town is like. Everybody was turned out. And the thing that I thought was so interesting was that, one, it was an extremely diverse town, a huge population of Native people, which was great to see, and also very multi-generational. There wasn't just a parent, two parents standing there waiting to see their kid. It was the parents, their younger siblings, their grandparents, you know, big groups of people for each one of the students. So I thought that was interesting as well. It's funny, once we all returned to the boat, because there were other passengers, but we didn't all hang out on land together. So when we all came back to the boat, we were just sharing our experiences of what did you do and where did you go and who did you meet during this daytime that we spent there. And people were coming back with all these funny stories about people accidentally staying in Ketchikan. <laughs> like, <laughs> the only one I can remember now was... One person said that they met a woman who said, oh, yeah, I, I showed up for a wedding and I just never left. <laughs> and, 
and everybody had these stories of like almost like Ketchikan is an eddy, you know, that you you step foot in and all of a sudden you're just stuck in it and you're there for the rest of your life. The other thing that was also really cool about it and interesting and ended up not being as unusual as I thought, and anyone listening in Alaska probably knows this, but Ketchikan was the first time I'd ever seen that many eagles in one place. The eagles are like pigeons, you know, they're just sitting on top of churches, they are getting in fights with each other over the street as the cars drive underneath them. Wow. And we were just walking around being like, whoa, whoa, eagle, eagle. And then you get to Sitka later on and it's eagles everywhere there too, you know. So probably for the Alaskan, it's not so unusual to see eagles. Well, for a Seat- for Seattleite to be impressed by the sight of eagles, it has to be pretty good because I feel like over here in Rome, like most people in Rome have never seen an eagle, period. Uh They've just never seen one. And I tell people that we used to have, there was an eagle that used to nest in the, well, I mean, I don't know if it was the same eagle every year, but it seemed like it. There was a really, really tall evergreen tree on our property when I was growing up. And there was, every summer, there was an eagle's nest in it. Mm At the very, 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 very top. And, and when I tell Italians this, they're like, oh my God, wow. Like a hawk is like, like maybe if you go to the north, you can see a hawk. But an eagle is, is extremely rare. So for someone mm-hmm. in Seattle to be uh, impressed, that's a pretty big deal. You're right. I mean, you do see eagles here, but you just don't see them in those numbers. No, no. You see one maybe in, in Seattle. Yeah. Now, I'm really curious about like, how was life on the ship? How many people, first of all, how much space did you, like, did you have to share bathrooms? I assume you did. How was that? Like, was there a common area? Like, did you hang out? Did you play board games? I want to figure out, like, what life was like on the ship. All right. So there were seven passengers and five crew members. Okay. I was just, I was picturing more for some reason. Yeah, pretty small. I mean, people shared bedrooms, but all of us had our own space. Derek and I were two. There was another group of two uh, guys who were next door neighbors with each other. And then there was a family of three, a father and son and the son's wife. Okay. So, and all those groups had their own bedroom and their own bathroom. Oh, cool. That's nice. That's very nice. And in our room, we had a... like a little bunk bed. You got to get the lingo right, Katie, though. It's not called a bedroom. It's a stateroom. Okay. And it's not a bathroom. <laughs> it's a head. Okay. 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 Yeah. I got, I'm just breaking it down for the, you know, the average listener. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, yes. Yeah, so in our room, we had kind of a bunk bed situation and Derek slept on the bottom and I slept on the top. And the top, I would say, was superior because it had a porthole that if you were lying in bed reading, you could look out and nice. watch the water and all the oh. trees go by which is really, really nice. How did you score that? Oh, I claimed it long before we even got on the boat. (laughs) (laughs) The lower bed was also slightly larger, so it made sense that I'd be on the smaller one. All right. But yeah, so we all had our own kind of personal cabin space. Then we did have two shared rooms up above. One was kind of almost like a living room, a couple couches, a couple chairs, you know, a bookshelf with some books on it. And then we had a dining room where we'd all have meals together and then of course there's the crew areas which you're not you're allowed to hang around in so you can be up sitting with the captain in the wheelhouse or you can pop in and talk to the cook in the galley although Mm -hmm. you know it's pretty tiny in the galley so not many people were hanging out in there unless you wanted to get water but (laughs) but it was interesting because I was thinking we'd we would all feel like we were on top of each other the whole time and really I found that people sort of found a rhythm of where they were to get some space and it just sort of came about that we created our own patterns 
Derek and I and this other guy named Dan were often sitting in the living room area, reading books and stuff, looking out the big windows. The family of three, the father and his son and his wife, often would sit in the dining room. There was a bench that ran along the wall, so they wouldn't be sitting at a dining table. They'd just be sitting on the bench, and it kind of gives you this big, wide view of everything that's going on. So they were often sitting back there. And then another one of the guys was often up in the front hanging out with whoever was driving the boat. We were hardly ever all clustered together, so it never felt like you were overwhelmed. And, And even certain times, I would be sitting in the living room completely alone. And of course, you can go out on deck, which you do often enough, because that's where you see all the good stuff. But we would eat meals together. And I think that we were coming out of COVID, you know, we all got along, but it was definitely had our moments where you think, do I know how to make small talk anymore? Or like, I haven't, (laughs) I haven't eaten breakfast talking to another human being in 18 months. I always just sit and read the paper. And now I get up at 8am and sit at a table with at least seven other people, if not part of the crew and chat that is a big change <laughs> it's a big change and so but we were so we were a group that was not beyond just silence sometimes uh-huh. that's good that's good to be able to be to be able to be silent is nice yeah you don't want to have the pressure to constantly be chatting i hate that exactly so but you know the interesting <laughs> thing about life aboard too is that i don't know if you had this in your experiences but life at sea is just sort of damp <laughs> you know you like you never Let's say you take a shower and you dry off with a towel. That towel never really gets dry again. Like it's always slightly damp. Well, not in Alaska. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> if you're in, I don't know. If you're in, if you're in, I don't know. If you're sailing down the Mississippi in Louisiana or something like that, I'm sure it's going to get dry. Yeah, maybe the cabins are kind of down in the water, you know. So I don't know, but yes, there was just sort of a dampness to it that uh, I didn't really mind. It was just something I noted about it, that, you know, it just had a damp quality to it. Of course, it was rainy and stuff along the way, too. There was also just a dampness where you have to decide to go on deck, and you've got your warm gear on. And How cold was it? Um, it wasn't too bad, probably ranging from, like, 40 to 60. Fahrenheit. Yeah, Fahrenheit. That's Yeah, 40 is pretty cold. I mean, you know, for May. What would that be in uh, Celsius for your our European listeners? Uh, 40, I mean, I'm going to do this in my head. Uh, 40 would be about uh, maybe t- 10 degrees Celsius. Mm-hmm. 8 or 10, I would say. It's kind of cool. 60 is probably about 18. No, less than that, maybe 15 I'm not sure. It's not It's not super warm. Yeah, I would say between like maybe 6 and 15, 18, 18 at the most. I think 70 degrees is like 22, so. Interesting. But uh, but yeah, so before you left, you were, I, I remember you were, you were trying to figure out which books to bring because mm. you wanted to bring a lot <laughs> for how many, <laughs> I mean, it seemed, sounded like you were, you were having a hard time narrowing it down. Yes. And I suggested... Death on the Nile by Agatha Christie, because yes. I remember reading that years ago, and I've, it was sort of like the same sort of thing, a very, very small cruise, but of course, on the Nile, not in Alaska. Did you read it? I brought it with me. I brought a few bl- books. I brought that book. I brought uh, the biography of Frances Hogson Burnett, right. who's the author of The Secret Garden, big, giant biography of her. And I brought a book called Outline by Rachel Cusk. I have to say that 
almost the entire time I read the biography. Mm-hmm. It just fit the mood, this sort of meditative, contemplative mood. I was thinking a lot about art and life and reading about another person's life, and particularly a person who is sort of transcontinental. She spent half of her time in the U.S. and half of her time in England, and in her lifetime did 33 Atlantic crossings. Oh my gosh. I know. So it was kind of being on a boat and reading about this artist who lived in a different period of time captivated me. Second runner up was the book outlined by Rachel Cusk. And I tried to read uh, Murder on the Nile, but Death on the Nile. Sorry, Death on the Nile. But reading this like deep other book, it just came off as kind of trite and silly. (laughs) And so I couldn't, I just couldn't get into it. And so I I did, I did abandon it on the boat, on the bookshelf, because it fit the theme of some of the books that were on there, which the crew was very happy about. So it's probably being read by somebody else Mm -hmm. (laughs) right now. Perfect. So not a bad purchase, but it just didn't fit the right mood. I got it. Well, we're almost out of time. So I want to say that if there's anything specifically, some people have written and said that they really want to hear about this trip because they want to hear about, I don't know, I don't know what you want to hear about, but they really wanted to do some kind of adventure like this. Feel free to send an email with other questions that we can answer if stuff's coming up. Yeah, but before we end, I do want you to describe for us and for me uh, the whale sightings yes. or the most important one. Yes, uh, definitely. Well, first, our email is bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. A quick aside to help you shop for summer clothes of the best quality, you must check out Fairty. They're a family-run clothing company that prioritizes sustainable fibers and non-toxic dyes, and they even ship their clothes in an environmentally friendly way. I own three of their shirts, and I absolutely love them. In fact, Tiffany, I'm wearing one right now. They are so soft and comfortable, and they are the perfect blend of casual and classic. You know when you're searching for that ideal summer outfit, that shirt, that dress that feels like you've had them for years, maybe a gorgeous print that fits so perfectly and feels almost too good to be vintage, but still looks like it might be? Well, that's Fairty. And they're so confident in the quality of their stuff, they have a lifetime guarantee of quality. They'll replace or fix your clothes forever, no matter what. And to top it all off, Fairty is giving Bittersweet Life listeners 20% off. 20%. So shop now for new summer clothes. Head to fairdbrand.com and enter the promo code bittersweet at checkout for 20% off your order. Now, back to the show. But yes, as you know, I agreed to go on this trip in large part because I wanted to see humpback whales in the wild and have wanted to forever it was one of your resolutions like a couple years ago i feel yeah it's it's a bucket list item it's a resolution i mean as far as back as middle school i have been wanting to see humpback whales in the wild and i knew that there was a fair possibility that we would see them and there are two sightings i want to tell you about briefly the first one was just sort of magical it was early morning We were sitting at breakfast and we were passing kind of a quiet inlet cove. So if you can picture it kind of being foggy and steamy and the clouds and all the hillsides are gray and green and it's just damp, just wet. We're sitting at breakfast and one of the guys who's looking toward the window from his seat just says, whale, (laughs) because he sees the puff of air come out of the water and we all go running outside and there are four whales there. One's a baby. Oh. And they're just tooling around. You know, we're just mostly seeing their backs, you know, because that's what you mostly see when you see whales in the wild. You see their backs. 
every now and then, if you're lucky, you get to see their tail. Their tail comes up and then they make a deeper dive. So we were seeing their backs. We were seeing their tails. We were seeing these puffs of smoke in this beautiful early morning light. Over to the left of them is a big bunch of seals that are doing some kind of feeding frenzy. So obviously, these are very rich waters. I love seals. Yeah, so we're sitting there watching them, just peaceful, amazed. And all of a sudden, one of them breached. And not only breached, but did the, you know, three-quarter turn where you get to see its big white belly and its flipper flips out like this. Wow. And then it falls back down into the water. And according to the first mate on the boat, who has been doing this for quite some time, said that that's the first time she ever saw it that close to the boat. Wow. And it was lovely. So, I mean, at that point, I just felt like whatever else happens on this trip, I'm good. (laughs) That was exactly what I always dreamed of seeing. I was very close to it. That was wonderful. Amazing. For the rest of the journey, we saw lots of whales, lots of backs. One morning, we were parked in a cove, and a whale just kind of kept sliding quietly by. Wasn't letting us see the tail. No details far enough out, but the quiet presence of waking up in a boat and just having a whale that's sort of moving about outside your window was pretty amazing also. On the last day, it was this rainy, cold day, and we'd been sitting inside reading books pretty much all morning. And Derek and I just decided, let's go stand on the deck for a minute just to get some fresh air, look around, because every now and then you go out on the deck and you realize there's a lot of stuff I'm missing out here. There's all these cool birds. (laughs) I saw some sea otters go by once. And so you do have this sense of like, as much as I'm enjoying reading, I might be missing some great things out there. You always feel that way a little bit. So we're standing on the deck and it's very quiet and very rainy. And Derek looks ahead and he said, oh, there's a whale right out there. And it was way out there, you know, like way far away. But we both saw just the puff of air come up right in front of the boat, little puff of air. So all we see is this little puff of air. And then the next thing that happens is that whale jumped completely out of the water, tail in all, sideways, like tail up in the air, full full body out of the water. Wow. And splashed down. And we were both like, of course, <laughs> like you just couldn't believe like you were just looking in the right direction when that happened. At the right moment. Yeah. And so we turned around and we looked at the... The crew, which is all in the wheelhouse behind us, with the faces of, did you see that? Did you see what ha- just happened? And the first mate said it was so funny. She said, I wish I had a camera because you guys both had the exact same expression on your face. <laughs> and she said, I will now call that expression whale face. <laughs> and of course, everybody comes rushing out. Most people didn't see it, but they heard it that it happened. Mm-hmm. That whale proceeded to keep breaching it never leapt out of the water like that again, but it kept breaching over and over and over again for at least a couple minutes. You have to wonder sometimes. I feel like whales are maybe very friendly because I feel like this happens a lot. Like, I mean, not that it's so common or anything, but that when people are, are on some kind of a trip like this, they have a whale that sort of like stays with them or shows off for them. I feel like they're an animal that maybe they like the attention. I don't know what it is. I mean, I don't know. I was thinking on the boat, how lucky are we as humans that whales have to breathe air? Yeah, right. Because that we get to spot them. And I mentioned that to Derek and he said, or how unlucky are the whales that they have to breathe air? Because historically, it has not been good for them that we know where they are. That's true. So I don't know. I mean, I think that that's... That might be kind of mythical thinking, but 
if you look it up, I mean, they're still kind of trying to research why whales breach like that. And how? My, my question is like, how does something so big <laughs> lift its entire body out of the water in such a way? I mean, like if you were swimming, unless you were like a professional synchronized swimmer, <laughs> I highly doubt you would be able to jump out of the water entirely, your whole body. And you know, you're very light. Humans compared to whales are all very light. Mm -hmm. How are they able to do that? I I guess the tail, maybe they push down with the tail. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's pretty amazing. But I guess it is that at least for this particular boat, the Sea Star, the crew said that they had never seen one do that ever. Wow. In all the time that they've been doing this. And so Derek was joking. He was saying, Maybe it's all that childhood wishing. Ever since middle school, she's been wanting to do th- see this, and now she's in her mid-40s, and she finally gets to. It's the persistence of 30-plus years of hoping and wishing. Hey, why not? Why not? Can I share a little whale story before we close? Yes. I may have mentioned some or all of this on a previous episode, and if so, I apologize for being repetitive, but I'm just not sure if I have, so I'm going to say it again anyway. My father loved whales. He adored whales. They were his favorite animal far and away. He, for a period near the end of his career, working downtown Seattle as a stockbroker, Uh, he, for a period, was living on the Olympic Peninsula, which for those of you who are are not familiar with Seattle, you have to take a ferry across the Puget Sound to get to downtown Seattle. Otherwise, it would be a ridiculously long drive. So he used to take the ferry back and forth every day. And he wrote me a letter once, a card. I just remember at the end of the card, he wrote, I bet you I am the only stockbroker in America who saw a whale on his way to work today. Oh, wow. Yeah, and my father died a few years ago. And as you know, as we've talked about on the show, I went to his uh, celebration of life in Seattle. And we went on a sort of, we have friends, my, my older sisters have friends who do whale watching in Puget Sound. So they have a boat. It's not an overnight boat. It's a boat for, you know, parties, groups of people to go on. And uh, it, would, it, would, it was just us. Very big family. <laughs> Very big. But we went out to basically scatter my father's ashes in the Puget Sound. And I think we had just scattered the ashes maybe 10 minutes before. And we had scattered some roses on the water as well. And right after, you know, like I said, 10, maybe 15 minutes afterwards, a whale came up and, I mean, it was so close to the boat that I think it actually touched the boat. It didn't jump out of the water or anything. Part of its body was out of the water, the top part, but it didn't jump out. The tail of the whale pushed up on the boat and then it went back under. That's lovely. That's my whale story to do with my father. So sometimes I'm like, was it my dad? (laughs) (laughs) Was he there? Was he saying hi? Maybe he was absorbed into the belly of the whale. Like So now he's traveling the open ocean. Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. I believe in all those magical things yes. deep down. That's lovely. <laughs> That's lovely. Well, one of the things we'll have to explore as a bigger concept, maybe, is I told you that the oldest person on the boat was a man that was 85 years old. And on the last day, we asked him, what was this trip like for you? And he described it as the fulfillment of a dream I didn't know I had. And I loved that because that's exactly how I felt when he said that. It's beautiful. I know. And so it would be interesting to do a show about those experiences. 
that, you know, all of a sudden you realize that this is an amazing thing. I never knew. I never knew I would love this so much. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we should do that. And I, I think it would be great if people people listening would send in their experiences as well. We love including your voice memos when we can in the show. So if you have an experience like that, something that you never thought or planned to do, but didn't realize that it was it was a true dream come true, get out your phone, just open up your voice memo app. Almost every smartphone will have a voice memo app already pre-installed. Just tape yourself and there should be a little option to email it. Usually it's a little square with an arrow going up. You hit that Put in our email address, which is bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com and just send it off to us. Yes. And we will try to include those. Yeah, I love that. So what is your fulfillment of a dream you didn't know you had? Or another way he put it, because we had him uh, say it again, he said he also put it as an unrealized dream fulfilled, which is a more succinct way to put it. I like the first I like the first. Yeah. So we'll go with that. We'll go with that. <laughs> and if you have any further questions about what it's like to take a boat up the Inland Passage, there's so much. I have I have a whole notebook here of notes that I took just of things I wanted to remember. So feel free to send in those questions too if you're thinking of taking a similar trip. And maybe we'll do it on the show or maybe I'll just write you back. <laughs> Bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, should we leave it there? Let's leave it there. I should mention... They're not a sponsor or anything, but I should mention if being aboard the Sea Star itself, that boat, they do this every summer. They do a bunch of stuff up in Alaska too. North Pacific Expeditions is the name of the company. They are wonderful people, super professional, very safe. I will put a link in our show notes if you're interested. Yes, I can't recommend them enough as a crew. They were awesome. So if this specific thing appeals to you, look them up. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Barks. Join us again. Bye. Need more show? Bonus episodes are released every single month at patreon.com slash thebittersweetlifepodcast. For as little as $5 a month, you'll get to hear even more. You'll find a link in the show notes. And if you jump on board at the $50 level, you get to dictate what topic we cover. For example... One Patreon subscriber had us do an entire show on cuteness. Become the director for $50 a month and support the show you love at the same time. Thanks for listening. Tell all your friends and we'll talk to you next week.